Hi, it's Devon here, and if you're hearing me at the start of the episode, that's usually bad news. But fortunately, today, I'm just letting you know that this is a re-release of a previous bonus episode. Obviously, as Hussein is currently on his honeymoon, having just successfully become a wife guy, um, he is not around to record. So this is a re-release of an episode from May 27th. This was from just after the first murmurs that Roe v. Wade would be repealed had struck Twitter. And this is a discussion about uh, basically why, if you live in the United States, you need to delete your period tracking apps right the fuck now because they are selling that data and the cops can use it to find out if you have had a abortion so go ahead and get rid of that and listen to this episode there will be another bonus episode uh re-released next week but uh phoebe is flying solo and has recorded two bonus episodes so if you're a subscriber you will still be getting as much content as you pay for uh, and without further ado Hello and welcome to this episode of 10,000 Posts. It's the show about how everything is posting. Uh, my name is Hussein. You can follow me at hkizvani on twitter.com. I don't know if this is a free or bonus episode, so I'm just treating it like a free one. Uh, as always, uh, whether you're listening to a free or a bonus episode, I am joined by uh, my co-host Phoebe Roy. Phoebe, how's it going? Do you know if it's a free or bonus Yeah, you're one? listening to a bonus episode. Thank you very okay, much for subscribing. <laughs> oh yeah, thanks. Yeah, Thanks for like knowing everything already. Thank you very much. Well, look, for pros- pros- posterity, for posterity, um, <laughs> if we ever unlock this episode, that's kind, of, that's kind of like how you follow me specifically. Okay. But thank you for subscribing yeah. anyway. Um, yeah. yeah, we really need to like figure out. Yeah, thank, thank you for giving us your money. We obviously make excellent use of it <laughs> look the sun's out today and it's making me feel things it's making it's it's bringing out like the british sicko in me mm-hmm. that like forgets about everything i was driving today and um i was listening to my chemical romance because they've got that new song out and i wanted to listen to it um and uh some kids walked past my car and were just like uh yeah i don't want to say the term that they use but basically they were just like that music sucks um, so that was, uh, that was nice to hear. We're joined by guests today. We are, so I'm going to be telling the guests all the problems that, um, all, all the times I've been bullied by children. Um, uh, we are joined by returning champion, uh, Shoshana Wodinski. Uh, hey. Shoshana, how are you doing? Um, have you been bullied by children recently? No, I was about to say, sorry. I heard that My Chemical Romance had a new single and everything. I just ignored everything after that. Because <laughs> I, I didn't know. About yeah, exactly. I'm like, wait, My Chem? Gerard Way? What? Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, yeah, they're back. A lot of things are coming back. We're in the nostalgia are they, age. It, like, are they good? Yeah, it's all right. It's okay. I mean, I, was, <laughs> I wasn't like, I wasn't like a huge fan when I was younger. So like, I think if you were really into it, it hits all the right kind of like, you know, bits um if you were sort of okay with them it's like yeah this kind of reminds me a bit about this this kind of reminds me of like smoking like bad weed in uh in, in like the english <laughs> in, in like, your parents basement not even parents basement because we live in england i don't know if oh. how many people have basements so what you would do is uh, i don't know if phoebe i don't know if you have better stories but with mine it was like we would go to this like little corner of um it was next to a house actually mm. it's like tiny grim corner and you would like share this really badly rolled like spliff and by the time you'd get it, it'd basically be like 
so damp that like there would be no point even like having it. Sorry, I know that's like gross, but that's, <laughs> no, it's that's, okay. I, let's yeah. listen. I'm I'm a Long Island dirt bag, so I'm used to like smoking <laughs> smoking in the parking lot of a mini mall. That's where I come. Yeah, from. Yeah, that's kind of. I think that's kind of similar <laughs> to what you would experience if you grew up in um in Dartford Town, like I did. Uh, Phoebe, like do, I, I assume that you have better and more interesting stories we, about we used, smoking. We spliffs. used to smoke our spliffs um on the kind of what used to be a sort of weird kind of scaffolding thing in the old stables market in Camden, which has since, That's cool. which has since burnt down. Oh yeah. So you see Camden, going to Camden town for us was like aspirational. Like you do that like one weekend a month and like you wouldn't shut up about it until the next month you went to Camden. No, I, the fact I that went, you said scaffolding yeah, like well, immediately just makes it fancier. <laughs> um, we, we went to Camden more or less every weekend for about two years. And that's the class divide, baby. Um, look, we have we have sorry, a fun sorry, show for us. The, what yeah. is the class divide? Uh, people who get people who got to go to Camden regularly when it was cool, and people who didn't. And now, yeah, that, that's the class divide. Don't ask me any more questions. <laughs> it's just where teenagers had to go in North London because it was the only place that you could like sit around and not have to spend any money. Yeah, okay, fair. Look, I'm not going to get into like different forms of like how Teen- England sucks and how like teenage bullying. The differences yeah, well, how, between- how, how there are different levels of like be like mundane ways of passing time in England depending on where you are. And I'm also not going to resurrect London discourse because we already had enough of that. And I'm sure we'll probably be getting it like in the next month. However, we do have a show for you today. Um, I have some updates from, uh, from a friend of the pod, uh, one Jordan Peterson. Um, I don't know if you uh, if you remember if you remember him. It's the Jordan Peterson Report. I can't remember what he was up to the last time we spoke to him or spoke about him. I think he like was tweeting some like weird biblical stuff about like slaying demons or something. Mm. Um, now last night, so we had like, I had like a different thing set up for us to talk about, to open the show. But last night, Jordan Peterson posted something just incredible. Um, and what followed was also incredible. So I'm going to post the link, which uh, I'm going to post the link in the show notes, just in case you haven't, or in the chat, just in case you haven't seen it. But I'm going to read it out as well. Um, this is a visual uh, tweet. So this is uh, from a swimsuit magazine, Sports Illustrated swimsuit magazine. And on the cover is a model called Yumi Nu, uh, who I've never, like, I, I don't know who she is. Um, she, But she's, like, attractive. Uh, she describes herself as a curve model. Um, Basically, just like, uh, yeah, you know, you can Google it. You've probably seen it already. Jordan Peterson says this. Sorry, not beautiful. No amount of authoritarian tolerance is going to change that. Um, Look, say what you like about Dr. Peterson, but authoritarian tolerance is such a a beautiful (laughs) turn of phrase. And I don't think he gets enough. I don't think he gets enough praise for his, his writing style. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, like I think this is the last time we spoke about him. I think this was like the thing that really drew out. It's just the fact that like, like the terms and turns of phrases that he uses are like incredible. Um, so he got um a bunch of like tweets and shit from it, including from some of his fans who were like, "Yeah, my girlfriend looks like this. Um, do you think that she's ugly too?" Um, 
And then uh, Peterson kind of said, so he then he went on this like tirade um, about how people yelling at him is the reason why Twitter means you can't have civil conversations. So he tweets like a moment after, I recently stopped accessing Twitter for three weeks as an experiment. I had some of my staff post links, videos, link, you know, etc. It was a genuine relief. I started to read and write more. I started using it again a few days ago and I would say that my life is better. He then quote tweets himself saying, the endless flood of vicious insults is really not something that can be experienced anywhere else. I like to follow the people I know, but I think the incentive structure of the platform makes it intrinsically and dangerously insane. And then he quote tweets himself again yeah. saying, so I told my staff my password to keep from temptation. Fucking hell. Um, and I'm departing once again. If I, if I have something to say, I'll write an article or make a video. If the issue is not important enough to justify that, then perhaps it would be best to just let it go. Now, after that tweet, um, actually, I'm going to tell me what you guys think first. And then I'm going to tell you how long it took before he did another tweet after that one. How this guy is just in love with the sound of his own voice, mm. and like, yeah, that, mm, yeah, right. I'll just, just a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what makes that's yeah. what makes him a good poster. We we, <laughs> we, we might not like oh, yeah, we I'm, might not like it, but we have to respect it. This is no, the guy who quote tweets himself. Like, yeah. yeah, you have to be kind of a narcissistic monster to do well on Twitter.com. Mm. And he, to his credit, he he checks all the boxes. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think what I think that the biggest takeaway for me was um, it's just I think a really interesting follow up to when we were talking last week about cringe and what and what constitutes posting cringe and like what is it as a kind of aesthetic marker? Is it something which is just, you know, is just post plus age, like et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and it's just something that I'm very aware that like I am keen to. Uh, sort of issue edicts on what counts as like weak patter or like what's like a kind of like embarrassing embarrassing kind of posting language that really should be retired like you know, as regular listeners know I'm not so keen on the like the politically and spiritual bald jibe or you're bald I think it's really stupid and embarrassing I think like I think quite a lot of unfortunately I think quite a lot of like UK left Twitter jokes are really no different from saying cockwomble. I think it's I, th I think it's really really no different. Ooh, okay, no, I, we're gonna like get some complaints. Yeah, I, what, no, we're not. It's always fine. Come up with some new jokes then. If you don't if you don't want me to criticize, <laughs> come up with some new jokes, and that's fine. This is fine. Yeah, sorry, Shajan. Yeah. No, no, oh no, 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 no. Had I was had an interjection say, so for the room. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Is question for the room? Is Jordan Peterson cringe generally, or just cringe right now because of this I, like see, swimsuit? I think format? I think he's cr I think he's cringe generally, but I also right. think that he's such a powerful poster <laughs> that he that he sort of he sort of chews cringe. But yeah, like so so something that you see like quite a lot. You see people like making fun of like the like the the like the normal island joke or like you know my my dudes or whatever um uh you know sir this is a wendy's etc because they think that it's cringe and again i sort of agree with them i'm not i'm, I'm not that keen on the normal island jokes i think it's i just think it's played i think it's played and i think it's straying into wheat patter but what people don't understand is that the act of posting is a cringe act there is no way mm. of posting in such a way that 
won't eventually be cringe. The cringe will come for you. Like you think that like like sneer like sneering about people doing the doing small uh, doing normal island on the Jurassic Park, whatever, um, on the Jurassic Park emblem. You think that like by sneering at them or making like making fun of them that you can protect yourself from the ever encroaching march of cringe. But the only reason to post, the only possible reason to post, because it's not to keep up with your friends, because that's because it's not like there aren't hundreds of messaging, messaging services or ways of kind of keeping up with your friends. It's not for getting opinions because Jesus Christ, surely we've retired this, uh, this kind of self-delusion a long time ago. It's not for getting news. I wouldn't thought, I mean, maybe it's still a little bit for getting news, but the reason that people post is because somewhere in their heads, they have this idea that in maybe a thousand years time, when there's an archaeologist like picking their way through the kind of burnt out landscape, that they will somehow come across your posts like, uh, like kind of graffiti on the walls of Pompeii. That's why people post. People post because they're afraid of being dead. That's why people post. And that is the cringiest thing that is possible to be <laughs> afraid of because everyone's basically afraid of it. And so therefore, there's a kind of shared experience of cringe. And I think that Peterson might be the only person who is immune from cringe. That's what I think. So, do, so do you yeah. think that Jordan Peterson isn't afraid of dying? I think Jordan I mean, Peterson is not I mean, afraid of I, dying. I, I, <laughs> listen, listen, listen. If I were Jordan Peterson, if I were like that man, I definitely wouldn't be afraid because I'm basically already dead, just <laughs> walking around. <laughs> I think that he's. I think he's perpetually afraid of death, but in a kind of like, I don't know. I oh, I don't know because it's like I didn't. I didn't. You know when he when he talks about Twitter and like the retweet button as like this kind of as this as this um like representative of like temptation as if it's like the, if it's, as, as as if it's like the apple that tempts adam and eve right and but he keeps falling for it and he's like aware of like the and he and he's just a man who i think is like he's burdened by like sin and religious guilt and like mm. yeah he's and he sounds like a guy with a gambling problem yeah he does like he if does, you put him yeah. in a yeah. slot machine yeah. But it's like a gam- but, but, but it's like a gambling problem where he feels like whenever he goes to like the slot machine or something that he's actually like battling with like devils, and 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 like the thing is so his his obsession is like the hero story right like his absolute obsession is and like the thing and and the thing that animates him in the culture war is the idea that like young men aren't allowed to have hero stories anymore because of because of the woke left right. Um, so, but if you like listen to some of his lectures, especially like some of the lectures that he did, like that he's done on his channel about like where he sort of like dissected the Bible, his infatuation with the hero's journey is far more than just like a kind of baseline culture will play. He genuinely sort of believes he is on this hero's journey. And like the where like the place he's at now is at like the point where the hero is sort of like struggling and fighting, right? Mm. Except, you know, so he kind of feels that the stakes, whenever he he feels that I think that his posting, the stakes of him posting are incredibly high because he f- actually genuinely feels like he's fighting for like the say like to save civilization. And it comes across as really weird to like other forms of posters who kind of know that like, yeah, being on here is a bit strange and like, it's very, very cringe and actually like posting is the least sort of adventurous thing that you can do. Mm. But yeah, yeah, then let's, ex- let's talk about why people with otherwise perfectly reasonable jobs and like quite often, like quite kind of admirable jobs, like not Jordan Peterson, obviously, but, but like 
why does everyone want to post so much? Why do doctors want to post? Why do... Well, Jordan Peterson's a really good example of that, actually, because he was like an emeritus. Well, he was like a kind of senior professor of psychology at the University of Toronto, like an extremely prestigious position in Canada and like in academia. And he gave it up. And as we mentioned in the last time we spoke about him, he gave all of that up voluntarily because he wanted to post more. Mm, yeah. Oh, well, I mean, this is the thing. I mean, like I... I uh, I've already answered my own question is because they're all afraid of being dead. Like being like well, no, so, so, <laughs> no, no, no. So so he's so he's addicted to posting because he's perpetually afraid of being dead. Yeah, and that's why he left his tenured position. But the reason that he, so, the reason that he is not cringe is that he approaches everything with like there's no second guessing himself. There's no like there's mm. no like attempted ironizing. He genuinely was very, very upset to see a woman that he did not personally find hot. So he's not kind of preening about himself. He's just saying this is an outrage because it's indicative of the woke left coming yeah. for yeah. our women. I don't I I, 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 well, I still I think, don't know yeah. what he was trying to say. Well this well this is the thing. He's like he's done these types of confusing posts before where like he's kind of pointed to something that's like fairly normal. And been like that is that is a symbol of civilization, like not only declining but like falling to like the worst excesses of like moral, um, like gluttony or whatever. Right? Mm. Um, I can't remember the last time he sort of did it, but it was like to something incredibly normal to the point where even his fans were like, "Yeah, I think you might be overegging this one." <laughs> and initially, like, I was kind of thinking, "But okay, this guy now that he's like a full-time poster, but crucially, as we spoke about in the last time we spoke, we spoke about Peterson, he is now sort of competing with this like right-wing me like social media ecosystem that isn't really there, like isn't really buying like the whole like 12 rules for life anymore. Right. Mm. Because like a lot of his sort of like devoted followers have now kind of learned that like you can sort of clean your room and pet your cats as much as you want, but like you can't really get away from like the structural problems that are like blighting like your generation mm. and there's no amount of this like you know fix yourself that can really sort of address that and crucially at the same time the people who are doing the whole self-improvement thing are doing it a lot better and a lot faster than him and they're a lot younger than him as well mm. and i think that's partly what's kind of like made him do this sort of weird pivot um but then when I see things like this, it's like, no, he's kind of always like this. And he genuinely believes that he's like on this weird, like it's kind of the main character syndrome, but really extrapolated to the sense where he kind of feels that he's like in, that he's living in the Bible. Mm. See, I've always thought kind of at the heart of the cringiest pose or just kind of, it's kind of like a desperate ploy for attention. Mm. And that's kind mm. of what I see this as because he's just like, oh no, the way I, the way you're kind of describing it, it's like a guy that's afraid of sliding into obscurity. Mm. And this is yeah. him just being like, hey, remember that I exist. Yeah. But he's yeah. doing it in a way that's also kind of a dunk on women. Mm. So yes. it's like, it's kind of, it's yeah. kind of a double whammy. Yeah. It just, I don't know. It feels very weird. And I, I know I don't want to spend like too much time talking about him, but I did promise you, <laughs> I did, I did promise you, I did promise you both that I would tell you how long it took before he tweeted again. Um, after he said that he was logging off once more, after he did his proclamation that he's leaving Twitter, as many of us do, mm -hmm. two and a half hours. Oh, that's pretty good. 
So he he was off for two and a half hours, and then he uh and then he like tweeted uh some guy about well well initially he did this tweet where someone tagged him and it was like oh thanks Jordan Peterson for the conversation so I guess maybe it was like oh yeah see I'm sticking to my promise of uh, only tweeting about stuff that I'm involved in mm-hmm. but then an hour later he quote tweets James Lindsay uh, who is crying about like some sort of book that he thinks is critical race theory i.e something that has like nothing to do with him and after he does the james Lindsay thing he posts another 14 times um like yeah so his uh his uh twitter break lasted a grand total of two and a half hours mm-hmm. um he's yeah. trying he's yeah trying. he's trying he, he's <laughs> trying. he's just like yeah. he's just like me for real like you know uh you know, he 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 hates the site, but he can't get enough of it. And you know what? I completely understand that. I imagine a lot of us understand that. Oh yeah, it's, it's because we all hate ourselves, but we're all terrified <laughs> of dying. So. Yeah, that's right. Much that's like right. a sort, much like a certain uh, Jordan Peterson. Mm. That's correct. We are we are all just like different versions of Jordan Peterson. You're right. <laughs> um, that was very fun. Let's talk about something that's not necessarily fun, but kind of scary. Uh, but also Shoshana, like something that you've written about quite a lot. Um, so, uh, recently, uh, there has been some news about, uh, the, well, the impending, uh, overturning of like the, of Roe v. Wade, uh, and by extension, the kind of like, uh, uh, I don't know how it's exactly going to go, but like, basically a lot of people are going to be denied like both abortion and kind of like crucial medical healthcare that is kind of like tangentially involved. Um, but at the same time, uh, while like, so over the past couple of weeks, as people have sort of been wrestling with this idea of like the prospect of abortions being uh, being made illegal across like a lot of states, um, there has also been this conversation about uh, data and data retention, how data on your phones in particular can be used by security services to basically find out whether you are getting an abortion or not, which can then lead to like criminalization, youth criminalization, uh, basically exacerbating a lot of the problems with the criminal justice system in America anyway, and of course elsewhere. Um, but on a much greater scale. So before we get into like the piece, Shoshana, um, can you like tell us more about like what's going on in the US in relation to like to Roe v. Wade and also how data kind of like uh, informs that and like why we need to also sort of understand like the the data risks that come with this type of uh, legal change? Oh God, uh, I am going to, I'm definitely going to flub up some of this because I've just, there's been so much news lately, just, it's just kind of like a torrential kind of mm. drumbeat that I've just, I've, I've, I've kind of like blocked most of it out. But what I can tell you is um, for the past, for, for the, for the past few years or so, uh, women in the U.S. have be, have experienced like abortion rights kind of dwindling and dwindling, especially in more red states. Like there's places in Texas right now where it's nearly impossible to get an abortion. And that's why, uh, especially over the pandemic, we've seen kind of an explosion in telehealth services, people mailing, it's called Plan C, people kind of mailing uh, certain I, I, I forgot the name of the medication, but uh, chemically-assisted abortion. Abortifacients. Uh, that's, that's the word. Thank you. See, you're, <laughs> I'm so glad you're here. Um, and then, uh, I th- oh God, it must have been like a month ago already when this kind of uh, SCOTUS decision leaked. I mean, it's still a draft. Things could change. But we've seen this kind of writing on the wall for, for a while now where the states where abortion is pretty much already slowly being criminalized, it's, 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 it's going to expand. Mm. Like that trend isn't going anywhere. And you have certain 
folks in the Supreme Court essentially saying, yeah, women, clearly the life of a fetus is more important than the life of the person that's carrying it. Mm -hmm. And we want to write that, you know, Roe kind of codified the opposite into place. We kind of want to overturn that. And this is like a, I'm pretty sure you can correct me if I'm wrong, but did that law pass in the 70s? I want to say it was the I 70s. I have no idea. Uh, Roe okay. v. Roe v. Wade. I think Roe. I think Roe v. Wade was actually like. I think it was surprisingly late. I think it was. Yeah, it was 1973. 1973. Yeah. Still, like the fact that like that that we've had that on the books for so long, the Supreme Court is just like looking at it now, and they're like, mm. we, we we don't really need that anymore. It's kind of, it is kind of shocking mm. because there's a lot of people out there that are, that are like looking and saying like. This is going to be the first time in history that like w- certain women will have less rights than their parents did, mm. which is yeah. obscene. That's obscene. That's insane. Yeah. Um, where the data stuff comes in is that uh, as abortion has become more and more criminalized across the U.S., we've seen people's digital data get used uh, to apprehend them for having er- I'm not going to say Arizona's abortions, but for having abortions in general. Mm. So there's this yeah. really kind of famous case where this woman, I believe it was last year or the year before, this woman uh, had a miscarriage. And then uh, law enforcement officials went through her Google search history. They found her looking up, uh, I believe it was the name of one of these sorts of uh, Plan C pills. Mm -hmm. Mm. I don't remember the name of it. And they were able to use that data to uh, charge her with charge with murder, essentially. Uh, I don't know what, what the status of that case is. But when that happened, uh, it pretty much sounded, uh, alarm bells started sounding mm. everywhere because people were like, oh, shoot, well, I guess our, our, search, our search histories aren't safe anymore. The apps we download aren't safe anymore because any data that can be used by law enforcement is going to be used, especially in, case, especially in cases like where, it, yeah, just... As, as abortion rights dwindle further and further, uh, more and more data is going to be used. And the, God knows there's plenty of it up for grabs. Mm. Yeah. That, that, was, that was a little bit rambling, but did I, did no. I hit on everything? No, it's not, no, no I mean, it's, 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 a big, it's a big subject. And I think actually like it, it bridges like the two kind of like bits of this together, because as you mentioned, like, you know, well, as far as I have like read, like, since like the passing of Roe v. Wade, there's sort of been this like obsession among kind of a particular like contingent of like um, politics to repeal it. Um, And this is a culture where it's sort of been lasting decades and like crucially, like it's kind of like reached this moment um, in part because of like, you know, that continuing, that continuing kind of like ventral politics. But more importantly, like it's kind of also been accelerated by um, tech, like, you know, the, the expansion of tech. Um, I think mm-hmm. you argue, right? And in your piece, which will be linked into into the show notes, where you talk, where uh, the, the piece is called uh, "Cops, uh, your your phone is a goldmine of hidden data for cops." Here's how to fight back. Um, and you like you list some like very uh, useful like advice that we'll get to in a second. But the thing that I was like really interested in uh, was also just like how the expansion of like um, well, how we how like, I guess the question of like how do we understand data and like the expansion of um, like data surveillance and especially like in relation to the um, commercial side of it, how that then feeds into like 
different forms of policing and basically how like you have this data infrastructure which makes it incredibly easy not only to like legislate against abortion but crucially to like criminalize people um for uh pursuing abortion or pursuing like uh sexual health care medical health care and so on sure uh wow that all all these questions are so big but something something that i <laughs> you know the the meaning Sorry. of private the meaning of privacy and the erosion of women's rights and all that yeah. stuff across the country but i will say so over the so when when we talk about privacy uh in kind of the tech sphere we have privacy for the means of like prosecuting people and we have privacy for the means of like commercialization and profit mm-hmm. and generally i cover the second one uh exclusively mm-hmm. but more and more as cops realize, oh, we can use this data too, especially like in the post-Cambridge Analytica era, we're seeing that those two kind of those kind of two circles like overlap into this really awful Venn diagram where mm-hmm. in the middle you have people at the US-Mexico border, you have police officers, you have basically anyone that wants to persecute anybody going to these sorts of monetization middlemen that are responsible for like making apps make money or making sure websites get paid. Mm -hmm. And they're saying, Hey, you have a lot of data on your users. Uh, We can pay you for that. And Mm -hmm. we can bypass the fourth amendment. We don't need to ask for a warrant because it's technically a commercial purchase. So then the app or the site operator is like, Oh, that's great. I love money. And they pass the data. The cops get it. The cops make their arrests and it's everybody, Mm -hmm. everybody wins supposedly. Except for the person getting arrested. Mm. Yeah, except for the people <laughs> who like are having their data like, monet- yeah, like monetized but, and also securitized. Right, but the thing is, you know, uh, and I've heard this. I've heard this in the past uh, because I've been covering app monetization for my entire career for the past three years. Um, and I've heard a lot of people tell me, like, when I point out like really egregious cases, like I've covered apps that are exclusively used by poor people in the past, and I'll like point out how this surveillance is like specifically affecting them. And people working in the ad industry will tell me, oh, well, they deserve it because they downloaded a free app and they agree to the terms of service and they should know what they're getting into. And then when Mm. I argue, there's no way because privacy policies are intangible and impossible to understand and nobody reads them. They say, well, we covered our ass, so Mm. we've done everything we need to do. Yeah. Um, It's just it is it it is such a what's the word? the mental gymnastics these people need to go through in order to like hold themselves not accountable it's it's Mm -hmm. insane but it works yeah because they're making too much money for it not to work yeah like honestly when i think about those smug fucks at google being like oh don't be evil like it makes me want it it makes me want to do something that would get this show possibly taken off patreon so i'm not going to i'm not, I'm not gonna go into yeah, it, it, makes, it, it, makes, it makes phoebe it makes phoebe want to put on like a big green trench coat and a big like and, and a mask and some like fancy ace and tape see-through glasses and uh send the people at google some uh some difficult captures to solve oh. <laughs> okay so <laughs> difficult captures i i haven't seen the new batman movie but i believe uh, yeah that- <laughs> Yeah, it was it was it was, it was a jo- it was a joke about the Riddler. No, neither have I. Um, I thought you were talking about Bono. <laughs> <laughs> no, you were talking about uh, oh god, who who was it? Uh, Paul Dano. Was- yeah, Paul Dano, who oh, is god. not Bono. Paul Dano as the Riddler. Fuck's sake. I I got it, Hussein. Don't worry. Um, yeah. 
sure you're not? Are you sure you're not talking about Bono? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm talking about Bono. Um, right. no, um, yeah. Well, I was just—I was also going to say that Google, like, no longer they took the whole "don't be evil" yeah. thing away, oh, but, right? You know, so, like, um, now they're yeah. like, "Evil, good. Evil's you, great." Or, or maybe it's more. Who is to say what is evil? Exactly. That's that. That's another argument that I hear from these people a lot. It's just mm. like, oh, you can't yeah. say that we're doing surveillance because surveillance is a phrase that doesn't really mean anything. Yeah. We're just making yeah. money here. And then I'm yeah. like, well, technically, like end users would say, and they say, we don't care about them. We interface between like <laughs> money people and your app. We don't care about whoever's mm. using it mm. at the end of the day. So, so, so this opens up, yeah, this opens yeah, up quite know, an sorry. interesting question um, that you like touched on, which is like how we should like understand data. And like when I was, uh, when I was like writing the draft notes, uh, I was thinking back to like when I started at journalism school in 2014, which was like, so it was post Snowden, but it was also like this time when I think there was a lot of optimism about big data. And I wasn't really ever sure like what it was, but like in journalism school, it was very much like, oh, if you don't know how to like use big data and you don't know how to kind of like do data scraping and all that stuff, then like, you know, you're not, you know, you're not going to get the real stories. Um, and what's very, very interesting. And I wonder whether how much of that is like been influenced by like Cambridge Analytica and like just kind of, uh, but I guess it's more over like how we think about data is very different now. Um, right. And I sort of wondered whether you could like, whether you could sort of explain to us a bit um, I know this is another big question. I'm very sorry, but like, <laughs> no, it's how, okay. um, yeah, how, <laughs> um, yeah. The question I'd love to ask you is like, what's your perfect what, Sunday morning? What's, However, what's data. <laughs> yeah, but, but I'm going to ask you like, well, how should we understand data now, right? I like, what? Yeah, you know. freaking no. What are you asking? I'm like, okay, here's the thing. So it. So I got. So I got my first job right after. I got my first uh, tech journalism job in 2019, mm. right after Cambridge Analytica. Uh, like not long after that story broke, and I was specifically covering tech privacy for um, like this ad magazine, and I was writing. Cambridge Analytica at the, at the end of the day was an ad firm. So I was literally writing about Cambridge Analytica for people working at firms like Cambridge Analytica, which was, I, I, I always liken it to like writing about the Death Star for people working inside the Death Star, yeah. which is yeah. like, <laughs> you, you get, you get, uh, you get some really interesting perspectives there. But I will say over the past, over the past, I think, Three years that I've been doing this, you have seen kind of a shift in the way people talk about uh, privacy, because they're suddenly realizing that the data that they're giving to tech companies as part of like the usual goods and services, like it's not really paying them back in the way that they anticipated, because suddenly people are realizing, oh, I'm giving something up that's very valuable, apparently. Um, and I'd and I'd assume that like it was going to be taken care of, but clearly it isn't. So mm. now people are angry, and when people are angry, that means the regulators get angry. But regulators don't really have any idea how to handle it. Yeah. So in tech journalism during this time, we've seen this massive shift in the way we cover privacy, where generally we used to cover it as kind of like a one-off problem you had bad companies like cambridge analytica doing nefarious things pulling people's data yada 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 and now we're saying like no it's more systemic than that and it's actually an entire industry that's built off of exploiting people and then pretending that exploitation doesn't exist mm. um at least that's kind of how i try to do it which mm. makes 
every story I write kind of the same. Mm-hmm. Like my story, my story about cops that I wrote uh, during the George Floyd protests back in 2020 mm. is the same story as this like abortion surveillance story that I wrote in 2022. Yeah. They're both roughly, they're both basically the same advice. Like, hey, leave your phone at home. It's tracking everything you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there's only so many times that you can write the same story over and over and over and over again before people are like, oh, this isn't about one or two. This isn't about Google. This isn't about Facebook. This is an industry that's like built on rot. And clearly we have to mm. do something about it. Mm. Yeah. Good times. What, <laughs> what is there possible to do about it? That's not, that's not supposed to be that's not supposed to be a trap or a trick question i'm just i'm i'm just i'm genuinely just wondering just talking about this if there is any way of like of forcing this toothpaste back in the tube because I, I can't see one yeah honestly I'll, i get that question like in basically the comments of every story i write they're like you're pointing out you're pointing out so many problems why don't you start thinking of solutions and i'm yeah, like why don't why don't you write something positive for once <laughs> Why are you so angry all the time? To be, to be clear, that's not what I'm saying. I genuinely just want to know if there is like, if there, like, if there, no, no, just like, was one of the one of the things that um that kind of caught my attention was uh was law enforcement not needing a warrant because it counts as a retail product. Is there a way of legislating it out a retail product? Sure, <laughs> you get you could you could you could make like commercially available data like right now i can i can go online and buy your location data for a few hundred bucks or a few thousand bucks uh without any oversight um and the the fact that like that that specific commercial product is just available it's a free-for-all instead of like actually being culpable under some sort of law uh we should fix that mm. or the fact that like when we talk about like healthcare, or if we're talking about like abortion rights hang on right now and i've written a lot about this as well uh hipaa the kind of health mm. privacy law in the us uh, doesn't apply to apps and it doesn't apply to sites so if you're putting down your pregnancy information or your or like your menstrual health information into a certain app that's not under hipaa anybody can get that data if they want and that's led to some sort of like, F- that's led to some FTC kerfuffles over um, sort of, uh, what's the word? Dishonest advertising where mm-hmm. a company, this one company named Flow said that it would protect people's data. Then it turns out it was sharing them with third parties, which is legal, mm-hmm. but they worded it wrong. So the fact is like, companies companies can still do that if mm-hmm. they know how to yeah. word it. If, if they yeah. yeah it reminded yeah. me a little bit so when i was reading your story and you mentioned the thing about like the third parties right the idea that like mm-hmm. one way to sort of like get around like the lax data laws at least in the us anyway is that you know you could sort of kind of do it through like third party services that advertise as this being like databases or something along those lines and then those mm-hmm. databases can like repackage that data as like a commercial product it reminded me a lot of that scene in the big short when anthony mm-hmm. bourdain is making the fish stew I've um, never seen it. Ah, okay. Well, it's one of my like favorite scenes. So like, obviously the big short is about like the, the financial crisis and everything. Mm. And um, they're trying to explain what like a CDO is. And at this point, I also can't remember what the acronym for a CDO is, but it's like basically this kind of compendium of like bad mortgages. 
but they kind of package together and they sort of create it into a financial product that then like banks and stuff can like bet on. And Anthony Bourdain likens it to a fish stew. So he's like Monday to Thursday or like, you know, uh, you know, on some of the days the restaurants serve like fresh fish, but then they're like left of all these kind of like, you know, bits of fish that you can't serve on your own, but you don't want to get rid of them. So you just like turn it, you make it into a fish stew and then you sell it at like a premium. Mm. Right. right. So like, it's, so it's not old fish. It's a new product. And right. it reminds me a lot of just like, okay, well you've kind of repackaged and you've kind of re-commercialized this in partly to sort of like evade laws um, like to, to evade like data laws, but by extension, you're also reinforcing the, yeah, you're also kind of like reinforcing this sort of like commercial data infrastructure, which means that like any sort of meaningful protection or even ownership of your data becomes like impossible. And I know, and I, and I wondered like how that kind of conflicts with, you know, uh, conversations we've had, but also like there were some soundings from like the Biden administration about like, you know, addressing this as a problem and being, you know, thinking about it, especially like in the wake of like, you know, the the election and all the conversations around that, the idea that like individuals like should own their data and like there needs to sort of be like a model of like ownership and sovereignty uh, around that. It sort of seems to be like contradictory to each other. And how could that possibly yeah. be enforced? <laughs> Exactly. Here's the thing. Um, so two, so two, two, two quick things. Um, your data is it, generally when like a data broker, like let's say you walk into a store, a Bluetooth beacon like pings your phone and somehow gets your location based off of that. That data is pretty uh, dirty. It's not specific. Mm. Nobody's going to be able to track your specific movements. However, yeah, if like 50 different location brokers are like collecting data about where you are at, at any given time, that flows upstream into like a yeah. bigger fish. If yeah. you're talking about, if you're talking about fish stew, yeah, there's like a yeah. handful, of, <laughs> there's like a handful of major data brokers that like do, it's not because any one company has like really specific data about you. It's just mm. like, they're all working in tandem. Mm. And yeah. those are the ones that sell the stop that sell locations like mm. to cops or whoever else. Yeah. Um, and if we're talking about kind of like so, like like sub, sub, sovereignty over your data and like owning that particular beat, do you know how much data you're giving off like at any given mm. day? Literally every time an ad loads on your web browser, yeah. it is collecting yeah. data about the device that it's on and the person looking at you it. You know, this is literally so, this is literally a line from Hackers, which is now almost is which it? is now like which is now getting on for thirty years old. And one of the hackers says you can sit in a room doing nothing and your name and every single piece of information about you goes through hundreds of computers a day, even if you're just sitting in your house yeah. doing nothing. Yeah. And that's stuff that is collected from social security numbers. So I'm wondering if this is uh, this is something which has been brewing for uh, for decades in terms of uh, both like kind of personal and kind of broader social and civic liberties. Um, but with the kind of Silicon Valley boom, uh, the technology has been allowed to, uh, and this is in heavy inverted quotes, innovate uh, beyond all possible constraints, either institutionally, legally, or even apparently morally. Yeah, I mean, here in the US, I, I don't know if you if y'all have this in the UK, but think about like Nielsen panels. Um, from like TVs back in like the 19, I want to say the 1950s. As long as like advertising has been a thing, advertisers have wanted to know where their money is going mm -hmm. and like how it's being spent. Yeah. So the big, 
when, when what we think of as like tracking or like surveilling here in the U.S. on our digital services, it's usually data being sent back to advertisers and middlemen about like, oh, these are the ads you've seen. This is the device that played on. This is where the person is. And that's all in the service of telling an advertiser, oh, here's the money that I'm spending. And here's like, okay, did it work? Did the person buy the product afterwards? And in order to figure that out, sometimes you need location data. Sometimes you need somebody's like credit card history. Sometimes you need like their birth and or death certificate to figure out, oh, this person didn't buy something because they died. Like, Mm. (laughs) like, so, so at the end of the day, if we're talking about like commercial data, like that's, that's existed as long as ads have been a thing. Like we've also, we've all seen Mad Men. We know that these people are morally bankrupt as hell. Like, yeah, but they wear nice suits. And that's they, the most important they, thing. Yeah, that's true. People, people in uh, people in advertising now don't don't really. Don't, yeah, they don't wear suits anymore, <laughs> do they? They're all like they, they yeah, wear but, sweatpants. Yeah, they all wear hoodies and flip flops. Um, and right. that's the and that's the problem. They've like they've uh, they've taken honor away from the noble from the noble industry yeah, so of from, advertising. From the noble John Drapers. Well, yeah, but I mean, like when we talk about a company like Google or Facebook surveilling us, what they're really doing is offering certainty. They're saying, hey. If you yeah. drop your ad, your billions and billions of ad dollars onto our platform, yeah. we can tell you who is buying what and why. Yeah. And that's why Amazon in particular has kind of emerged as an entrant into the ad scene over the past few years. Mm-hmm. Like right now, we have what's known as a triopoly on, in the internet where that's 60, like 60 something percent of the hundreds of billions of dollars spent on advertising every year go to mm-hmm. Google Facebook, Amazon, those three companies, because they're all able to offer some sort of certainty that nobody else can. But that also means if law enforcement need a specific kind of data, they they know where to go. Because yeah. 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 And this and this was like the thing that I got from your piece too, is like about and just like how the kind of commercial data infrastructure and crucially just like this is this infrastructure that has sort of been built by like for lack of a better term, like ad tech. Um, yeah. and I know that, like, I'm not, I'm not going to ask you what is ad tech. It's the tech that's used for buying and selling ads online, much like, much like in a stock exchange. Okay, not, not as, not as big as I expected. Um, <laughs> but like because it sort of takes over so much, and crucially, and so like in the UK, we do have like a, we have something like a Nielsen. It's called like the Barb, um, the broadcast, yeah. uh, the broadcast the Barb? research. It's called Barb, Barb. Uh, yeah, Barb. Uh, which, I- very, very British name. I know. Um, I, I was about to say I can't even say that with the accent. <laughs> but like, I think there are limitations in terms of like how it's used. But um, I used to work in TV a little bit, and like, uh, they also like beyond kind of those like official ratings, they they were also like implementing like AI tools in order to like track um, not only like you know uh, how many people were watching and like what t- how that translated into like purchasing and stuff, but also like what segments people were watching and how long for and like were they sort of like engaging online while they were doing so there were like lots of different metrics in which like you could kind of measure attention and really that's kind of what it came down to it was just like you had this very vague notion of like attention and the kind of prem the premonition that like attention like is valuable that was something that was reinforced by both tech companies and ad tech companies and i imagine that like a whole kind of infrastructure has sort of been built around that premise that like attention is something that is like so valuable that you kind of need to build everything around it, whether that's like true or not. And like, you know, looking at some of the examples from like pivot to video and like how that kind of, you know, how the, the foundations of that 
were kind of like understood to be bullshit much later on. But I feel like what we have now is <laughs> it's not it's not to necessarily say that like the kind of measurements and the uh like the, the, the metrics used by like ad tech companies are kind of like wholly accurate or even like wholly useful or as valuable as what they say but like we sort of have to exist within that system regardless and what seems to have happened now especially with the expansion of security tech companies which at least in the uk is like one of the fastest growing tech industries um they have to exist within that framework too um which is why again like you know all the sort of all the metrics that kind of like define like the notions of attention um yeah, sorry. All, 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 the, all the notions that sort of like circumvented attention then become valuable to security tech as well. Like, do you think that's kind of like yeah. a correct way to analyze that or? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Because we've definitely seen cases where things are built to monetize. It's, it's the attention economy. It's, it, it makes hmm. money by, makes money off of your eyeballs. That's how it works. We've definitely seen cases where things get created for the purpose of monetization and then they get used by law enforcement later on. That's what that's what's happening with ad companies mm. right now. Where people I've spoken to a ton of people who are now leaving the industry because they're just like, I did not get in this to work with the FBI. I got in this to like serve ads to people for shit that they don't want. Mm. Like <laughs> yeah exactly. and now and now that like cops are coming at me, I, I don't feel comfortable doing this anymore. Mm. Yeah. Um I know that uh, in particular, you, and even, here's the thing though, when we talk about the attention economy, it's like, sure, we have the apps that we use and the sites that we're browsing or whatever, but we also have like, when we talk about out of home advertising, it's called D-O-O-O-H. When you're walking down the street with your phone in your pocket, you pass by a digital billboard, that's also monetizing you. It's tracking whether Mm. or not you saw the ad that you walked by. When you pay for something at a pharmacy, that's also tracking you. And then pharmacies create their own ad networks to monetize you off of that. Mm. It's really, it's everything you buy. It's everywhere you walk. Somebody is trying to make a buck off of you. And whether or not that buck gets trans, it's like also translated to, to police. It's, mm. there's, there's no laws that say that it can't. So I I know I'm probably rambling here. No, 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 not at all. No, 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 no. no. This is like really, it's like really necessary that we that we that we we know that we know about this stuff, and it's yeah, yeah, no, it's it's well, I mean, it's you know, like uh, I said, I said before that like my. Com- the commenters in my stories are always just like, why are you pointing out problems that don't have any solutions? And I'm like, the solutions would be very easy. It's just lawmakers need to like step up and they have proven again and again that they can't like in the u.s talks about a federal privacy law have pretty much died uh if you can people keep arguing about what privacy is or isn't yeah and the kind of commercial aspects of that often get left on the floor because mm. nobody wants to talk about the elephant in the room that commercial and personal privacy mm. are the same thing yeah because like the t- like the tension like, between um between like public like public duty and like living as part of a society and your right to privacy and your right to uh your right to liberty is like that i mean these are like thousands of years old these these kinds of discussions right. and again i just i think that like sort of technologically we've just evolved that's been evolving that's been evolving at the kind of at the kind of lick that note that there hasn't really been time to kind of reassemble and reconstitute what 
a kind of social philosoph- philosophical framework around that is could possibly look like let alone let alone anyone has the kind of the apparently has like the kind of the urge or impetus to be writing laws to attempt to kind of at least contain it in order to kind of right. preserve um some semblance of kind of individual liberty and privacy uh to that point uh so like there's there's this like guy that collects the exact number. He he basically makes a list every year of like all the advertising and marketing middlemen that monetize your attention. Mm-hmm. And about a decade back in 2011, I think the number was 150. And this year, the most recent number, it was uh, about 10,000. Oh my god! So literally, over the course of a decade, <laughs> it literally just exploded because there's so there's hundreds of billions of dollars that are just in this market, and. Sure, you could track each one down and try to figure which ones are working with cops, but who 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 has the time? And who has the time to try to regulate all that? It's so a lot of people are just kind of kicking kicking the can down the road and hoping somebody else will take care of it. And the FTC, uh, that that agency, has kind of kind of kind of made it one of their goals. And they have they've hired some really smart people in that space, but. <laughs> we just we gotta see we gotta see what's gonna happen mm. well good, good I know that, yeah i know i know we're right running short on time but what i would like to like end the episode on like a slightly optimistic note which is that like <laughs> this isn't isn't one of this isn't one of those things where you can't do where, where like there's literally nothing you can do even though it certainly feels like it um oh, yeah. and i am terrified now of like walking past the billboard <laughs> Uh, by oh, my yeah. house um even though that billboard has just like been put up by one of the mechanics to advertise uh that he can fix uh subarus um yeah i don't know what's going on there but um i do i do want to end on a slightly positive note um not because like the like the subject is necessarily like you know optimistic but rather that this isn't something that people can't do like that they're powerless to sort of like control um so uh shoshana you mentioned in your piece like towards the end that there are things that people who are not only just looking for abortions, but like also if they're going to be partaking in protests or demonstrations or things where they could be surveilled and that surveillance could be used against them in courts of law, but how they can protect themselves. So for listeners who like would like to know some of that, what would you recommend or like the key things that they should be, they should do or think about um, if they, if they do, if they are, if they uh, do want to like protect their data and like prevent, like try to minimize the amount of surveillance being placed on them? Uh, sure. I mean, aside from reaching out to your lawmakers uh, about this very important issue, uh, what you can do, the easiest thing to do is just to get a burner phone uh, and only use it when you're in protest or only use it when you're outside at something like kind of sensitive, like a doctor's office or an abortion clinic or something like that, mm. because your phone is going to be the main sort of way that data brokers and middlemen who are working with law enforcement or otherwise will use to identify you as an individual mm. so when you carry a, when you carry a burner around the people are like they, they see this phone and they're like what is this who does this belong to we, we we don't have it associated with anything else yeah so use a burner uh use if you're really worried about your browser history uh, don't use google incognito uh google incognito is like <laughs> basically garbage uh use something like tor or use yeah. something like firefox uh firefox is pretty good mm. and tor is pretty Tor is the gold standard, but it's pretty slow. Yeah. Uh, and uh, get a PO box. <laughs> get a yeah. PO box. Try and try to get it under somebody else's name. If you need uh, somebody, if you need like to get sensitive things mailed to you, because mm. mailing lists are also things that are like 
I can get uh, I can get like a list of like pro-life mailing lists for a few hundred bucks right now. So if mm. you're worried about ending up on something like that, uh, use a PO box because those yeah. are harder to track. Uh, and also just don't, just don't leave your house. <laughs> just, <laughs> just, just yeah, just, just never yeah, go just, outside. <laughs> just never yeah, just never leave. I would say like you know make yourself like a nice tinfoil hat. Uh, yeah, that yeah. like prevents the rate like the radiation. Yeah, no. like, yeah. like a Faraday cage for your <laughs> mm, Yeah, it's true. Uh no, you've put some good advice in there. I am gonna like link your article in the show notes. So if people want to like read more about it and like learn more things, um, that is useful to them. I think like even if you're sort of involved in activism and stuff, I think it can be like a mm. useful way to think about stuff. So thank you for that, uh, and your public service. Um oh. Yeah, thank you for your service. That's that's what we're saying to you on the show. Um, if people do want to read uh, more of your stuff, uh, more of the things you've worked on, including uh, your work on the Facebook papers, which we talked <laughs> about the last time you came on, how can they do that? You can find me at gizmodo.com or you can find me on Twitter, S. Wodinski, spelled the way that it sounds. Uh, uh, yeah, we'll link that as well. Uh, yeah, you should follow. It. You, you should. Yeah, uh, yeah, you're you're a good follow. Have you know you've got a good <laughs> good good ratio. Good ratio of like good like informative content, and then and, and also you know, pictures of my cats. Yeah, yeah, which is like I feel like that's important. Um, and you don't yeah. say any weird stuff. I oh yeah, Jordan Peterson is going to quote tweet a picture of one of your cats and talk about how like it's kind of it's actually like really authoritarian. Oh yeah, uh, the, that you that you're holding them. Yeah, the authoritarian the authoritarian beauty standard because my my lady cat is a little bit chunky. <laughs> mm, oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> that'd be very funny. Uh, when I had a vet come visit recently, the vet like looked at her and she was like, she's kind of big. And I was like, rude. That's so that's rude. So yeah. rude. Yeah. That is so rude. That's so rude. Um, yeah, that, 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 that probably a Jordan Peterson fan. That's what I'm going to say. <laughs> right, um, no. Shoshana, thank you so much for coming on. Really, really appreciate yeah, it. Um, thanks for having me on. Yeah. Uh, this was another bonus episode. It was produced by Devin. You can follow them at Devin underscore on earth. And you can also follow their podcast, kill James Bond, uh, which is also very good. Um, Phoebe, do you want to plug anything, even though this is a bonus? Yeah. 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 I don't, I don't like, yeah, plug, I don't suggest to follow me on the bonus because I assume that either you're already following me or there's really nothing there for you. I think that's just, the, I think that's just, that's, <laughs> that's just, that's just fair. Um, if you were, if you do not already listen to me and Milo's Seinfeld podcast, Masters of Our Domain, then you can which is um, found over on Masters of Pod on Twitter, where we post episodes and other stuff. But mainly, mainly, mainly where we post episodes. You know, it's a very, very yeah. workhorse account. Yeah. Yeah, you 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 get you go there and you get what you you get what you expect, which is nice. Yeah. Um, there's no like there's no unexpected. Yeah, there's no unexpected stuff, which there's I think no is gotchas. like no. Yeah, there's no gotchas. There's no like quote tweeting uh, models on magazines and telling them how like you know they are they, you know they're sort of the embodiment of the original sin. Um, yeah, it's just it's just it's just fun times. Oh, wait, no, hang on, there is one of those. <laughs> but, it's, oh, but it's just yeah. one, and it and yeah, and no, she, and yeah, she, and she knows what yeah. she did, so. And and it's also when you're body shaming uh, George Costanza. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's fair enough. Okay, well, look, we're gonna end the show. So uh, thank you so much. Uh, share it with your friends. You share it with people. Share share Shoshana's article to people who uh, would find it like really useful. Um, we'll also have some links to uh, some organizations that are uh, some abortion funds and like other organizations that are working uh, to uh, yeah to kind of like maintain and to uh, provide like safe abortions for uh, people in the US. So yeah, I think that's it from us. Uh, we'll catch you on the next one. Have a good one. Catch you later. Bye. Bye. -bye.